Yo, 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 Ringer FC World Cup Edition. The semifinals are already upon us. Tomorrow, that's Tuesday, we have France and Belgium. And then Wednesday, Croatia and England. First of all, let me welcome my co-hosts, Ryan O'Hanlon and Micah Peters. What's up, boys? What's going what down? I wanted to wish you guys a happy Zizu headbutt day. <sighs> yes, it's the 12th anniversary today, July 9th, of Zinedine Zidane's infamous noggin into Marco Materazzi's chess piece in Berlin, 2006 World Cup final. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, boys, where <laughs> were you on that fateful day? Micah, maybe you were in diapers? <laughs> uh, fuck you very much, Donnie. I was still at, hadn't been born yet. <laughs> yeah, I was still a twinkle in my mother's eye. Actually, no, I was actually at Region Three ODP camp, <laughs> uh, watching in the air conditioning cafeteria. Where'd you Michael say it was? was still Alabama. On, yeah, it was in Alabama. <laughs> he was still on the USMNT watch list. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that I was either getting chewed out by my coach for for not tracking back too far enough, <laughs> or for shooting from too far away. One of the two. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, Hamlin, where were you? I was at my parents' house, and I was like five days away to going off to college for my first uh, preseason. So I was just on the verge of vomiting basically the entire game because I was nervous for that. <laughs> I do tell remember you like kind of explaining the, like the, I think with, my mom was kind of asking me about why Zidane is, was so good still at that point in his career. And I started trying to explain it through the prism of like Black Knight and Mor- Martin Lawrence where he's talking <laughs> about the rope-a-dope. <laughs> he's just wow, disappear that... for long periods of the game and pop up and score. <laughs> Su- such, a, such a Micah analogy. It really is. Let me tell you where I was. I was at a bar watching the game, wearing a Zidane shirt. And then after the game, I rode my bicycle through Little Italy and was getting jeered. It was amazing. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> Forever a troll, man. Yeah, of course. Oh, anyway, we're going to preview the semifinals in a bit. But first, before we get to that, we're going to review some trends we've seen thus far in Russia. And I'm going to ask you guys to buy or sell on them as harbingers of the future of football tournaments. You guys ready? As I'll ever be. Let's do it. All right, let's go. Number one. Set pieces are the easiest way to manufacture goals, or in the words of Ryan O'Hanlon, set pieces are soccer's massively underexploited inefficiency. Just to remind you guys, 68 goals have been scored off set pieces thus far in the 2018 World Cup. Buy or sell? Uh, (laughs) Buy, obviously. (laughs) I mean, like, that's kind of England, who, as we all know as a semifinalist, have scored eight of their 11 goals off of set pieces. Yep. And on top of that, it's just come to the fore that literally no one has ever practiced set piece defending. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy on this one. Well, actually, Ryan, you, I already know what you're going to, you're going to buy on it too, Ryan, but is this good or bad for football and for watching football, I guess? I think it's good because it's it leads to more goals and then the more teams are scoring the more open the games have to be mm-hmm. i think um i mean it sometimes i guess it's kind of bad where it's like france uruguay france gets the early goal and then just can completely shut the game down but i think on the aggregate the more teams are scoring the more 
it changes the incentives of a game in favor of a more uh, sort of entertaining product. Entertaining product. Yeah. Um, so overall, I'm. Uh, I mean, you quoted me, so I'm buying my own words. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think on the club level, teams are going to sort of refocus their resources on? You know, of course, England famously famously has like a specialist. And I guess probably a lot of premier Premier League clubs or top league clubs have this, but have these types of, you know, like uh, coaches or assistants with that role. But do you think there's going to be sort of a refocus on set pieces now? I don't know. I think it's more so a thing that is tailored to the attacking talent and ability that you have on your team. I mean, like if you can play a different way, then you don't really need to rely on. Uh, things that have been recurring themes in this World Cup, which is defensive solidity and, you know, like set piece uh, scoring or whatever yeah. you want to. Yeah. I mean, if you can have, if you can score from open play, you don't need that. But like, if you're coming together before a big national tournament and you don't really play together that often, unless you're Russia, which you just have all of your players come home to play in the domestic <laughs> league before this tournament starts, then, I mean, like set pieces would be a really useful tool, but I mean, like you can score other ways. And I think that um, the best teams will still spend most of their training time on developing like attacking styles that consistently produce goals, but I, I think lower um, tier team, not lower tier teams, but like teams just outside of the kind of cream of the crop would be silly not to do this. Um, yeah. I mean, I think even we kind of saw it, you know, Chelsea Chelsea scored a ton of uh, set piece goals when they won the won the Premier League two years ago. So it, we we know it works, and it's just it's easier for a team like Everton to like become really good at set pieces than it is for a team like Everton to develop like an impressive counter press or something, you know, or to organize all of their eights and tens yeah. into a formation <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, manager managers in general just need to go to more Timberwolves Pelicans games. Agreed. That's the future. Okay, number two. Number two. The scourge of the game. Diving and feigning injury. It's as bad as it's ever been. Buy or sell? Uh, I'm going to go sell on that one just because, like... First of all, let's let's examine the semantics of that s expression. It's as bad as it ever been. That just means it's the same. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and on top of that, I mean, I don't know necessarily. I think that the instance that people, most people, have in their minds is Layun stepping on Neymar's ankle during Brazil's round of sixteen match against Mexico. And the thing is that, like, that was embarrassing, but like a really good use of the competitive advantage you can have if you can send referees to review plays on uh in v with VAR. I mean, so that's just another way that you play the game. Yeah, I'm selling this. Uh obviously Neymar is the main culprit, but also Neymar was fouled 26 <laughs> times at the World <laughs> Cup, which is a lot. Also just like just looking at the list of these are the top 6 players in terms of the guys that were fouled at the World Cup. One is Neymar, two is Eden Hazard, three is Isco, four is Messi, five Harry Kane, six Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> so, like, so it's almost like, you know, people will target you if you're good. It's almost like the highest profile players are getting fouled the most and that because of that, maybe people think that there's more diving or, or more time spent on the ground. And it just seems like every World Cup that all the attention is on 
you know, soccer. And so people are seeing it (laughs) and complaining about it (laughs) and it's just amplified and louder, but it's not, it's just same as it ever was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's the people that are watching soccer every four years or, you know, like what have you are just going to be like, why is he, why is there so much of the game spent on the ground? But I mean, like, that's just kind of how it is, guys. Yeah. It's not anything (laughs) different. Okay. Number three. Not only is possession overrated, but also shots on target are overrated in terms of what you need to win a game. (laughs) Just to give you some context here, the teams with the most possession in this World Cup are, were, Spain, Germany, and Argentina, obviously all gone. Teams like Sweden and Russia, both of whom made the quarterfinals, played largely without the ball. And none of the quarterfinal winners, our semifinalists, had more than three shots on target in their quarterfinal victories. And Croatia has barely averaged two shots per game. Ryan, do you buy or sell on that? Uh, I don't buy on the shots on target being overrated because the only way you can score is by doing <laughs> that. You can't give us a twofer like that. How could I ask the X- XG God that? <laughs> exactly. Um, I think what I would say, possession may be overrated in international soccer. In club soccer, it's just not true. You know, Real Madrid... Man City, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, those are the dominant teams. And the way to truly dominate a game is to just have the ball and not let the other team get it. But I, that's just harder to do in international soccer. So I think I think it's it is I think it's overrated to the extent that like it seemed to me like Spain and Germany were kind of prizing possession over actually creating any kind of incisive attack. Yeah, I mean, like, right. because in their <laughs> their game against Russia, and I'm going to keep breaking it up, <laughs> 1,107 <laughs> passes. <laughs> Why does it seem like that number keeps going up every time we mention the number? Because I, cause I, no, because I said 1,000 the first time, and then I just kept saying, and then I said over 1,000, and then I gave you in the specific number In two years, it's going to be like 10,000 passes. <laughs> 10,000 passes in the fullness of time. Yes, it's going to feel like 10,000 passes. I mean, it's definitely something, though, that is easier to do in a one-off knockout tournament, right? I mean, it's not, like, sustainable. Yeah, and I think the other thing in knockout tournaments, it's uh, the teams that tend to have more possession are the teams that are losing the games just because once a team scores, they play a little more defensively. So I think that that plays into it a little bit too. Like the Belgium-Brazil game, we saw that. Right. Okay, number four. Video assistant referee system, a.k.a. VAR, actually works by herself micah (laughs) (laughs) i wish you could have saw the look you just oh man (laughs) i mean like are we talking like functionally does it work like does is the mechanism like a thing that (laughs) improves the game improves the game (sighs) or or allows for the most just outcome of the game which ostensibly is what we want as fans and what players and coaches want i think like on balance uh just is i guess the most f word to use there but it feels unjust every time it happens so i fine i'll buy on that that var actually works is this that like i'm selling on var as a concept just because i don't like it <laughs> mike mike is in his feelings as usual ryan <laughs> var buy or sell buy <laughs> I, I uh I, I still don't know if I understand the 
logic behind introducing it at the World Cup when like <laughs> 70% of these players have never played a game that was managed by VAR. But overall, like I, I really can't recall any moments. Egregious mistakes. Mistakes or moments where I was like, okay, like what are we doing? Like let's keep playing. Well, the, on, the only one for I the remember Cristiano is... yellow card. That's that, true. I mean, but yeah, I mean like the it's o- definitely one of those things where like they they – Got a lot of calls correct that they otherwise would have missed. Yeah, yeah. I will say the that. only one I can remember that was really wrong was in the Iran Portugal game, the <laughs> Cedric handball uh, at the end that allowed Iran to equalize and also put Portugal in the hard bracket. Probably changed the whole course of the World Cup, maybe. But um, of course, I guess Russia beat Spain. But that was the only call that I remember that was thinking like they went to VAR and they still got it wrong. So anyway, I'm buying on it too. All right, next one, number five. Three in the back is the best defense. And we've seen that with Belgium and England, two semifinalists, buy or sell. I'm going to buy, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Although France has the best defense and they're not not playing three in the back. But the best defense is having a Barcelona and Real Madrid center back (laughs) as your two center backs and not the ones that are both washed. Um, just kidding, uh, Barcelona Real Madrid fans. Please don't come at me for Sergio Ramos. <laughs> too late. Already said it. <laughs> but I think overall, it allows you to kind of create a more stable defense without maybe the personnel um, if your talent isn't there. Because I think it, you know, it, it went out of style. I think because teams like to play three in the back against teams that played two strikers to always have an extra guy back, and then essentially no one other than Sweden. Um, Played with two strikers in this World Cup. Sweden's 4-4-2. Uh, love it. Uh, but I, I think what it does, especially like you see with England, you see it kind of kind of with Belgium. You can it make sure you have three guys back, but teams are now playing like, like Kyle Walker is not a center back. He's sort of an offensive defensive player, and they but they sort of shove him in there next to two center backs to kind of give some cover to Stones and Maguire, but also give them some offensive juice rather than just like having three guys just standing (laughs) unoccupied by any attackers. Mm -hmm. Um, And Belgium has Aldevireld, who is an incredible passer too. So I think I I buy the logic and I think it's an easy kind of shortcut to solidify your defense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's just move on. Number six, one-man teams will never flourish in the World Cup. Mm. Isn't England in the semis? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that the, isn't the Harry Kane the Harry team? Maguire teams in the, <laughs> the Harry Maguire team. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I called them, you know, I use the pep pejorative for the Harry Kane team for England, but I stand corrected because over the weekend it was the Harry Maguire, the Harry Slathead <laughs> Maguire team. <laughs> I would say I'm I'm on the whole out on one man teams being successful. Yeah, I mean, like if we've we've seen a lot of it this tournament. I mean, like Portugal, Argentina, Poland, which I mean, oh, like boy. I forgot they were even here. <laughs> uh, Colombia just completely being it totally... collapsing in on themselves after James didn't play in their game against England. Yeah, Egypt, <laughs> Egypt. Oh, sad song. <laughs> All right, next one, number seven. Don't shoot first in a penalty shootout. Now, popular opinion has always been, or actually statistically proven, that the country that shoots first in a penalty shootout 
usually wins majority of the time. But in this World Cup, every country that has taken the first penalty kick has gone on to lose. And that includes Spain, Denmark, Colombia, and this past weekend, Russia. Mm-hmm. Buy or sell. Don't shoot first. Mm. I don't know. It's just it's this is tough because <laughs> the 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 instances in which I'm thinking the ones that have just happened, I just remember thinking about how exhausted I would be if I was playing like for Croatia or mm-hmm. Russia, and the fact that those PKs were so horrible because everybody was shooting on exhausted legs, except for the 38 year old dad exactly. Russia. <laughs> who spanked it. Oh my goodness, that was the best PK ever. Um, I. I'm going to, you know what? I'll just buy on that one. I think I'm going to buy on that. I'm going to, I'm going to sell. I'll go with thousands of shootouts of data uh, rather than the <laughs> thousands four, of shout, shootouts of data <laughs> that have proved that shooting first increases your chances of winning the shootout by two thirds, basically. Um, yeah, I'm just going to choose to, to, uh, to buy on that. Just to be real quick, what, what did you guys make of the first Russian penalty in that shootout? You Smolov. mean Smolov just kind of rolling it into Suvazich's right hand? Well, he kind of like panenka'd it, sort of. But yeah, but the thing is that if you're gonna panenka it, either you, you got to go down, down the, the center, yeah, down the middle, <laughs> yeah. not like blithely to the left. Yeah, the whole point is to get the keeper to dive and then just dink it, and he. Got him to dive, but dinked it right to where he dove. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sure yeah, we have, it was we some combination look, of nerves and exhaustion and something. I don't know. We would have to look back at each one of these shootouts and see what the first penalty was uh, to determine whether or not this is like a, a real trend or just like four really bad penalties coincidentally happening in a row. So, okay. Next one, number eight. The next great international manager is currently toiling at a mid-table Premier League club. And this, of course, is in reference to the fact that we have a possible final pitting the former managers of Middlesbrough and Wigan, <laughs> Gareth Southgate and good old Bobby Martinez. Uh, Buy or sell on that? And also, I guess a bigger question is, seriously, is it something to uh, a manager kind of working with not elite talent uh, and trying to galvanize more of a team spirit and 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 set pieces and and other things that are more prevalent with teams that aren't you know at the top end of the table. I I buy the theory behind this, but I sell the actual statement because Spain just hired Luis Enrique to be their manager, <laughs> and he's uh, he won the Champions League with Barcelona, so I think he'll be They the should next. have had Sean Dyche. <laughs> exactly. I was, I was about to say, I'm buying solely on the strength of Sean Dyche. Or Pargiola. Sean Dice. Sean Dice or I I think overall, though, I, I think that um, it's just the quality of managers is lower in international soccer just because it's harder and you don't have as much control over your players. You don't get to pick. You get, you sort of get to pick, but you really don't get to pick um, who your players are. And it's just, it. we looked at the salaries recently. Like, I think Ronald Koeman is basically the only uh, 
international manager who's in like the top 30 of highest paid managers. He makes like fucking 7 million euros or something per year. That's a lot. Guy's just failing, failing upwards. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's keep it moving. Um, Number nine, we'll have our fourth straight World Cup winner from Europe. Uh, The top three slots in the last three World Cups have all been from Europe with the exception of uh, 2014's runner-up Argentina. The trend here is Europe is leagues ahead of the rest of the world. Buy or sell? I mean, buy. All the best players in the world are still playing in Europe. Yeah, I buy it as well. And, you know, like if you are balling out, uh, say, for Fluminense or Plate <laughs> or whomever, you are eventually going to find your way to Europe. Yeah, by the way, everyone should read Ryan's front six uh, quarterfinal takeaway. He has a whole entry about this very topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would... Uh... I think there's some sort of like bad luck involved of, you know, Senegal maybe is in the knockout stages if one thing goes their way. Brazil play, didn't like play poorly against Belgium, but I think it's like the, the the crazy thing about this is that Spain and Germany aren't in the semis and Europe still has four teams in the semis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty wild. Okay, finally, number 10. 2018 World Cup in Russia, best World Cup ever. Buy or sell? You know what? Fuck it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that just guarantees that the semifinals are going to be nil-nil penalties. Without a doubt. Yeah, but I, you know what? No, I choose to remain optimistic. These are going to be barn burners tomorrow. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. On that note, let's do some quick news hits. As Ryan just mentioned, Luis Enrique has been named the manager of the Spanish national team. Any words on that, guys? Great hire. I mean, yeah. Congrats to Spain on winning Euro 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a surprise. Paulinho for Brazil and Barcelona is back to Guangzhou Evergrande in the Chinese Super League (laughs) on a one-year loan deal, apparently with an option to buy. I didn't exactly know what the terms are, but he's going back to China. Why? Is this really a surprise? I mean, like, considering the fact that uh, Barcelona had that weird transfer saga with Jean-Michael Serri from Nice, and then that fell through, and then they signed Paulinho. <laughs> it's, I, it's extremely I, I sketchy. Serri, extremely yeah. sketchy is yeah. how I would describe this. Uh, I've heard people say that when Neymar left, there was like a quota of Brazilians that Barcelona needed to have for their advertising, basically. So they temporarily bought Paulinho before they could bring in Coutinho. And like, considering how weird this seems, that actually seems like a somewhat plausible explanation. <laughs> so in short, Paulinho finuted the coop, you would say. <laughs> well put, well put. In other transfer news, Mario Balotelli, two-year contract. Marseille. That's interesting, right? I'm totally they're not, fine. They're not with... in the Champions League, but you know they're a big club. I'm all for nice. the Mario Balotelli resurgence, except for stop playing soccer with Takashi Six Nine. Moving on, he's staying home. Jack Wilshire, West Ham on a free three year deal. Great club for him, right? Pellegrini's the manager. Good manager, Mark Noble and Jack Wilshire in center midfield is not the most. <laughs> it's not compelling. <laughs> Two man pivot, um, but I mean, like at least he gets the opportunity to be something other than you know, like 
I don't know, the like arsenal a mascot. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. instead of an arsenal mascot, instead of like having to deal with all those, I guess like having to deal with the weight of potential, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now he gets to be. He just gets to be Jack Wilshire, who plays in central <laughs> midfield for West Ham. Yeah, agreed. Wait, speak, speaking of weird shit happening with Barcelona, this is a PSG rumor. I don't know. This is probably not true, but it says PSG want to sign Barcelona midfielder Philippe Coutinho for 239 million pounds. Why? To help keep Neymar at the club. So they want to bring Neymar's Brazilian homie to Paris so that Neymar won't leave for Madrid or wherever. But Barcelona just bought Coutinho less than a year ago. Literally, how could they afford it? (laughs) Yeah, and PSG is already in a bunch of financial fair play hot water, right? So yeah, they yeah. I mean, you would have to, well, you start by selling Mbappe. Yes, for like three hundred for three hundred million pounds. <laughs> yeah, and then oh you know, I I, I don't know. I, I I just there's no way. Why would Barcelona do this? Then again, they just you know, I almost said money laundered, but I'm not going to actually say that, uh, Paulinho. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean this. We're at the point where, like, I think the Neymar transfer was so unlike anything that came before it that, like, you're allowed to make rumors like this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now you just like you can expand the bounds of fiction with uh, with transfer news rumors. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo going to yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wait, Cristiano Ronaldo what to Juve? Yeah, I mean, that's the only way that this hap- this thing happens. <laughs> like, and then forty five other things have to happen. Exactly, a butterfly flaps its wings near the Fuji Mountains, and then Cristiano Ronaldo goes to Juventus, Coutinho goes to PSG, and Mbappe goes to the MLS. <laughs> <laughs> the last one is just quickly for Ryan. No response necessary. But Renato Sanchez apparently is impressing his new Bayern boss, Nico Kovac. He's not dead yet. Are you happy, Ryan? Long live Renato Sanchez. <laughs> All right, let's get into our Final Four preview. We'll go more in depth about Wednesday's game, uh, which is Croatia-England tomorrow. But let's talk about France and Belgium. It's the first matchup Tuesday, St. Petersburg. It's just some team news real quick. Thomas Mounier, of course, the right wing back, is out on yellow cards. So I hear Roberto Martinez is debating whether to put Toby Alderweireld on the right possibly put Vertonghen on the left or keep switch Nasser Chadley to the right, put Vertonghen's Romilin at center back. I don't know, whatever the different options he has. The thing is that like, he will literally put anybody at, at wing back. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, there's almost no point it, in I, trying to, whatever solution doesn't involve bringing Carrasco back. up probably is the best decision, but I don't know what you, <laughs> Um, Matuidi is also back for France off suspension. I don't know if he'll going to, they had Taliso there in the quarterfinals, so uh, he may or may not be back. He'll be back. back. (laughs) Can't resist playing the defensive midfielder at left wing. (laughs) Especially when Belgium's right right wing back is suspended and it's a weak (laughs) spot. (laughs) What do you guys think are the key matchups or the X factors or what to look out for in in the France-Belgium game? I mean, literally just focusing on Mbappe's side of the field and him running at like the left side of defense, I think is going to be a prob- is going to be a problem area for Belgium. Um, what else do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I mean that that's the first thing. Yeah, wherever Mbappe <clears throat> is versus uh, whatever wing back or like 
even if they play kind of the like hybrid Jan Vertonghen at left back, like that's a terrible matchup against Mbappe. Anybody with pace <laughs> against Vertonghen is a bad matchup. Um, well, let me let me ask you this, Ryan. Though you were earlier in the earlier segment, you were praising France's defense, which fair they haven't conceded a lot of goals other than the Argentina game. But is it also fair to say? The one game where they were tested by a team with a lot of firepower, they did concede three goals. And in the other games, they, they've gone up against a, a Cavani-less Uruguay, you know, teams that aren't as in, – and in, in, in their group, nobody with a lot of offensive firepower. So this is going to be the toughest defense they've – I mean, I'm sorry, toughest attack they've faced. Are they built for that? I think Lucas they are. Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard. Well, I think they are. Because we're talking about we're talking about Mbappe terrorizing whoever whoever's on the left. Do you think? Luke, I mean, Lucas Hernandez is already talking tough. Let me just read his quote here. Your boy. We've already eliminated the best player in the world against Argentina," <laughs> said Hernandez. Bang bang. He didn't. He didn't touch the. I know this is like smack DVD. He didn't touch the ball. That's the truth. Against Belgium, we all we also he have the players to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's so great! It's so great because this is the exact same thing as like Giannis and Tedekumpo like talking about uh, Demar Derozan. He's just kind of like he only had like eight points, and that was just free throws. <laughs> all right, go on, go on. It said against Belgium, we also have the players to make sure Hazard touches the ball as little as possible. I mean, I guess Conte is probably going to be the one mostly responsible for uh, shutting him down. I guess, but. I mean, I don't know. How do you how do you think the French defense is gonna withstand the KDB, Lukaku, Hazard, Trident, assuming that they're deployed the same way they were against Brazil, where they were very effective? I think that I just think that they match up pretty well because if they're deployed the same way in De Bruyne, De Bruyne, I literally correct myself every time I say it. And I still <laughs> just don't KDB. Say it right. Um <laughs> He kind of played as like a false nine-ish and dropped like right behind Fernandinho. Like that's just where Conte is going to be. So I'm not really worried about that. And I think with Conte out there and then with essentially four center backs, it's just Hazard's never going to really get isolated on 1v1 with anyone, I don't think. I mm -hmm. think if if he's matched up with Pavard, I think Pavard's going to have. Varane is going to have his back and Umtiti will be backing up the other side. And I, I think part of that is because they just don't attack as much. Like, there's going to be no, you know, Belgium scored their second goal with Marcelo stuck upfield. Lucas Hernandez, uh, for all the shit he's talking, is not an aggressive <laughs> soccer player. <laughs> so he'll kind of be stuck back. So it's, I think what, honestly, I the more I try to analyze this, the more it's like, you know, Argentina kind of broke the game open against France with a Di Maria shot from 30 yards out, you know? Mm. If that doesn't happen, who knows how the game goes. But, you know, Kevin, Kevin De, Bruyne De Bruyne is the guy who, like... <laughs> is capable of that. Exactly. exactly. You give him a little bit of space, he lines up a shot from 25 yards out, it's, it's more likely to go in than the average player. So it, I, it does feel to me like Belgium is going to need a, a goal like that from De Bruyne or a set-piece goal to kind of break the game open otherwise i just i just don't see them teasing france out of their shell and i right. think france has enough in just mbappe griezmann uh Giroud, and then pogba's passing to attack without risking too many numbers forward i was going to say in the middle it's Conte and pogba versus assuming they use the same formation 
Axel Witzel and Marion Fellaini. It seems like Micah, your boy Pogba, this is the game that he needs to, not that he hasn't been stepping up, but it seems like a big Pogba game will result in a France victory. Yeah. That, he could be that X factor. I am taking Pogba and Conte over Axel Witzel and Fellaini <laughs> 11 times out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh against uruguay there just wasn't really much space for pogba to do anything and just the way that belgium plays there's going to be space for pogba to to take some risks i think which is kind of not what you want if you're playing against him <laughs> <laughs> exactly you don't want him to you don't want pogba with free time uh no. to think time to think about ways to get up the pitch different ways to use the outside of his foot i guess especially when you know, we've said this the whole tournament. He is incentivized to take risks because he has Conte just hoovering up everything behind him. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, I mean, like, when he doesn't have to just be a ball-winning midfielder. Yeah. Which which keeper do you trust more, Loris or Courtois? For some reason, I feel like Loris is due for a mistake, and that could be France's downfall. I don't know why I feel that. I just feel it maybe because he's a spur. I don't know. I still trust Hugo Lloris. <laughs> <laughs> Spursiness aside. I guess I trust Courtois mainly because I think Lloris is going to have more to deal with in the game. I think the chances will be lower quality, but he's going to have more shots to deal with. So I think he'll just have more opportunities to make a mistake, <laughs> basically. Well, here's the other prediction I have. I have a feeling... We talked. We kind of joked on Marcus Berg in the last episode because he's a number nine who hadn't scored a goal and still hasn't scored a goal, and he's out of the World Cup. Olivier Giroud hasn't scored a goal yet, despite starting all but one of France's games. I feel like he's going to score. What do you guys think? I feel like he's going to get what his do you beautiful think, French XG head. God, <laughs> I think he, uh, <laughs> he. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a shot on target yet. So yeah, I really don't know what he's doing besides occupying center backs. <laughs> you know, he's he's got the hold up play going, and in fact, I just read an article on FIFA.com where it said he's relishing the elder brother role on the team. <laughs> he's like, I don't play FIFA. I'm not trying to do this real accent. He doesn't play FIFA or Fortnite with them or whatever. He's just kind of like the old guy. He's 31 now, so you know, he's basically Mbappe's dad. <laughs> it's kind of funny I mean I I do really like Drew's hold up play um, I still think he's better off as like a guy to bring off the bench um, but really I feel really, like he's he, definitely a breaking case of emergency situation just because like I want it's the same thing that we've been saying about Francis that you want them to play a certain way and it's just kind of like Giroud is kind of emblematic of a certain style that they have been playing. It is interesting. Yeah. I'm looking at the numbers. He's their center forward. <clears throat> He's taken seven shots while Griezmann's taken 14. And Drew does not have a shot on target yet. Um, I'd feel and, a little and better. Griezmann has three goals. Yeah. And, and eight shots on target. Well. Um, so it is, it's a very, I mean, it really is like kind of an Emil Heskey situation. Oh, <laughs> Drew, wow. Drew is much better. I'm just saying like he's playing that kind of yeah, Backboard, I mean, actually, I shouldn't laugh because Emil Heskey was a very, very effective player for England and it had a very distinct role. It wasn't, you know, heralded necessarily, you know, I mean, or it didn't get glory, but he did the dirty work. 
Also, I'm looking at it. Mbappe's only taken six shots at the World Cup. It's kind of crazy. Just considering all of the insane hype around him, you would expect more than that. <laughs> so do you think France will finally play without the handbrake? Or is Deschamps going to do more Mourinho-ing? Actually, I, I'm going to read a quote to you. I felt like he was saying this directly to Ryan. This is what Deschamps said in his press conference today. If you're looking for 5-0, don't come to a World Cup. You won't get this. There was literally a 5-0 the first game of the World yeah. Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. Excellent point, Mike. Actually, no, Ryan, let me ask you as, as we wrap here. What, what's your perfect attacking formation or, you know, for France? Like, what's your best 11 for them? I mean, I'm, I assume you'll keep the same four in the back. Mm, I mean, I... You wouldn't put Giroud. You wouldn't start Giroud. I would go with... Uh, I mean, I don't... This is the thing. I don't know how healthy Sidibe and uh, Mendy are. They're both healthy. They both played against Denmark. So I would start both of them because they actually attack. And they have Umtiti and Varane who are kind of guys that can cover a ton of space and cover for an advancing fullback. Then I think I would play Tolisso with... Pogba and Conte. And then I would just... So a three in the middle. Yeah, and then I would just go with Dembele, Griezmann, and Mbappe together. Wow. And then if it doesn't work, you bring on Giroud and you mix it up. But I'm not, you know, that's why I'm sitting at this table. uh, (laughs) And not in an Audi racing chair. (laughs) Wow, Ryan's like speed demon. Well, just imagine... I like it. Just... Uh, Imagine playing all like of your Mexico. best players at the same <laughs> time. <laughs> but I, I just, you know, it's it's certainly worked, and it's hard to, you know, you look at the shots numbers and stuff. When France gets a lead, they just completely shut the game down. Um, I I just see Belgium maybe attacking so much that France is going to have no option other than just exploiting all of the space that Belgium gives them. But I don't think that's going to be a directive necessarily from Deschamps. Okay, so let's go with predictions now. Mike, you go first. Be as specific or as vague as you want, but I need at least a scoreline. Hmm, let's see. Before we were going into this, I was going to say that it was France. Uh, France 2-1. to one. Two goals. One, well, the two goals coming from... One from Griezmann and the other one from Pogba from like distance. <laughs> that's just because that's that's what the heart wants. I still feel like this is gonna be this is gonna be a one-o game, I feel like. And it's gonna be one goal from Kevin De Bruyne from from distance. Oh wow. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I like wow. It. Michael on the record for Belgium. Ryan O'Hanlon. I'll say one zero from for France. Uh Giroux set piece goal. Okay. And I'm going three three two for France. Giroud with a brace, two goals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On that note, we'll be back tomorrow uh, to recap that game and also preview Croatia versus England. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you, Micah. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Peace. Peace.